It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share their real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm producer Kellyanne, stepping in to co-host today. We're so excited, Kellyanne, to have you while Michelle focuses on finishing up her life coach training, which is incredible, through the Jay Shetty School. She is going to be a remarkable life coach, and Mm -hmm. this training is intense, so Mm -hmm. we're excusing her from the podcast today, but we're also excited, in addition to having Kellyanne, we're excited to have Matt Patterson back with us. Mr. Patterson, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Oh, we're so good. And we're both of us just almost giddy with excitement to have you back. (laughs) I I call you Mr. Patterson because for those who might not know, you are the principal at my children's junior high school. This is a part two episode. Please, if you have not heard part one, look in the show notes. I'll link it. You will want to hear part one. Matt, for those who didn't hear episode one yet, will you just give us a quick recap before we jump into today's conversation? I had uh, was raised in a remarkable home, but had the unfortunate uh, situation where my, my dad ended up committing suicide when I was 10 um, years old. It was Halloween Day and um, was the one that found him and, and uh, of course, worked through that tragic event with my family and uh, learned a lot of great lessons and uh, had a remarkable mother that that loved us me and my two brothers and just worked through life and figured out how to be resilient in in lots of unique ways and and then of course having a mom that I just adored and and loved on such a personal and deep level that that then had the tragedy of losing her when I was in my 20s and she you know passed away of a rare genetic disorder and kind of threw me for a loop again and but uh learned lots of lessons through uh through that process as well but of grateful for the the trials because I think it put me through a lot of the refiner's fire to, to develop me into the person I am today. Wow. I Just to hear you summarize your life so succinctly and so positively, mm-hmm. like Kellyanne, how many positive words, grateful, just wonderful lessons learned, tools built, so serve, help, like yes. you moved forward. Well, and one thing I loved about it, and I think I actually chose it for our best of that week, you chose in that moment at a 10-year-old to see positivity and to keep moving forward. And you did that at a very young age. And that seems to be something you are continuing throughout your life and inspiring other people to do. Well, and as the oldest, you mentioned these two brothers. They're both younger than you. So you're 10. That makes them, what, four and seven. You're in your early 20s when your mother passes away. That means you're all orphaned within the first couple decades of life. Most Mm -hmm. of us don't lose both parents, both parents, Mm -hmm. until we are ourselves quite a bit older. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Matt, what we want to talk about today is exactly what you said, your unique background, your unique experiences, your unique challenges have led you to be what I consider very uniquely qualified to do what you do professionally. So walk us through your professional path out of high school, into college. What profession did you maybe start in when you were in your studies, and then where did you end up? I was intrigued by the outdoors, and my mom loved gardening, and we had a garden growing up, and... uh, so actually, I originally thought about being a landscape architect. I just kind of fell on that. It's probably one of those uh, those surveys you take in, in junior high or high school. Is a, showed my aptitude towards that that I always looked forward to. And I went on a, an LDS mission and came back and thought, well, maybe the engineering seemed to be a little more of a, an intriguing direction. And jumped into those classes and decided I just didn't love math that much. Um, but uh, Don't most I, of uh, us not. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm okay at it, but I just not, didn't love it. And I ended up finding myself in a lot of just geology and science classes and uh, switched over to geology, specifically working with water and water systems. And uh, just realized that as I got a little closer to my degree, that those can be contract work and uh, you just kind of live out in all over the world, but not in places of the world that you'd want to visit, more like Afghanistan or, or uh, you know, Mongolia or places like that that were working on, you know, water systems that hadn't established. And 
it just didn't ring true. I had a little family, and so, but I had a professor that pulled me aside one day as a kind of serendipitously and said, "Hey, you ever thought about teaching earth science in in schools?" And it kind of took me back a minute, and I my initial reaction was like, "No," um, but as life does, it kind of settled in. And I think I mentioned in the earlier podcast, my I'd mentioned to my mom, and she said, "You know what? I used to be actually really good at that." I actually been doing a little bit of teaching kind of on the side. I've been teaching the seminary. I taught at Clearfield High School in the seminary program and kind of it all lined up and I, that opportunity kind of faded out and uh, I jumped into the, the education program at Weber State and uh, ended up falling in love with it. I ended up having a professor that I just still stay in contact with today. His, his name is Dr. Adam Johnston and I was sitting in his astronomy class one day and I thought, this is awesome and I think I can do what he's doing. And, uh, just fell into place. I uh, just in love. Uh, had did my student teaching in in Davis County and ended up falling in love with these kids and just was excited to get out teaching. And then through a weird connection, I had one of my classmates that was going to be the head custodian at the Orion Junior High, and he aligned, he connected me with the principal there and got an interview. And I landed a, a dream job. I was this Orion was the very first year opening was the very first year I was the teacher there and I uh, was assigned a seventh and eighth grade science teacher and was introduced to my box and uh, I was scared and but I jumped right in and had a great time and now I'm 20 years later and I'm back at the same school I, I started at. Oh, wow. so. Isn't that fun? We're on the 20, this is the 20th year. In fact, our PTA t-shirts this year have like little 20 years on the back. It's, we're proud of this. You blink and 20 years pass, right, Matt? So right, yeah. let's talk for a minute. Let's talk for a minute about resilience in the classroom. Let's focus if we can. I mentioned you're the principal. So clearly at some point you left the classroom level and went into administration. But let's focus on the classroom if we can for a few minutes. Seventh and eighth yeah. grade is a hard age. I know. I, I have an eighth Lots grader. I have a sixth grader. I, um, that middle that middle school age, you know, sometimes we call it junior high, but it, it is the middle school years. Talk to us, Matt, about maybe some of the lessons that you either saw or learned or applied in a classroom setting working with some of those 12 to 14-year-olds. What can you share with our listeners that maybe came out of those classroom years? Yeah. So I felt like there was four things as you interact with students of that age. And whether these are children in your own home or you you teach them and in whatever capacity, I think there's four critical pieces. The first of all is you've got to have a relationship. There's, these kids are so relationship-driven. They're, they're, they're self-centered. They're egotistical. They're only concerned about themselves. But if you can connect with them on a personal level some, some way, right, um, become that kind of touch point in their life, whether you know that they like skateboarding or that they're involved in a certain sport or they have a certain passion with a certain class, You've got to be able to connect with them. That's number one. Number two is they may not show it, but they want to learn something every day. They want to, they want to feel like they've gained something from their time and their experience. So you, you got to come prepared with some, something. Um, you know, in terms of when I was a science teacher, I knew that they wanted to learn something new about the, the earth that they lived on. Number two is they, believe it or not, they want to know where the boundaries are at. They want to know where the, the proverbial fence is is and so you got to set clear expect, expectations and, and clear boundaries, and then you got to hold them to it. A lot of mistakes you make is if you're inconsistent with those or inconsistent with their peers, you lose all credibility with them, and so you you're done as soon as you are inconsistent with those expectations. So it's kind of twofold there, and then the last is they have to have feedback. They have to have timely and accurate feedback, and uh, even though they may not want to hear it, they they need it. And they need it often. So those are kind of the four things that I feel like gave me the greatest success as, a, as an educator. And, you know, if you could do those well, it was a, just an, an awesome experience. You saw tremendous growth in kids. You saw that they cared and wanted to be part of what you had to offer to them. And, and it created an environment that was just fun. It was just super fun. I miss those days. Bad. Oh, I love it. We're just sitting here both. I know. Our right? notes okay, slow down, seriously. slow down. Wait, I'm writing this down. I love so. Let's let's talk for a second, Kellyanne. So many things. Mm-hmm. The relationship, and I love Matt that you said they are self-centered. They are egotistical. They are focused on themselves. And you didn't say it as a judgment, 
Mm-hmm. You set it as a developmental fact. Yes. That just is where yeah. the brain is at that point. That does not mean they're terrible and awful and lazy and our hope is lost. Well, and us as grownups, no. we, we find sure. the exact same sure. desire. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I love that you mentioned building the relationship with the student or the child or the, the whoever the person is, where that person is. And if it's yeah. not where you are, and this kind of goes if, you know, I'm sure several of our listeners are familiar with the love languages or personality mm-hmm. tests or the color code. We have to try to reach people where they are rather than where we are. Mm-hmm. And we have to let them see that there's maybe value added to letting us connect with them and especially with young teenagers. So I love that. I love the thought of them wanting to learn. Again, I think so often we think, oh, kids these days. But <laughs> um, it's on us to be prepared. Mm-hmm. To teach them, to, mm-hmm. to converse with them, to take advantage of those moments. I'm sure, Matt, you had copious lesson plans, but I would also imagine you had classroom opportunities where real learning took place and it had nothing to do with what was in your, necessarily the, the, the script of the day or the, the textbook of that day. But you were prepared yeah. to, because you had connected with them, you were prepared to have conversations with them and meet them where they were. And that helps yeah, them absolutely. learn. Yeah, I love yeah. that you talked about credibility. They want to know where the boundaries are. They want to know what their expectations are. Like, that is just wonderful. Um, I think so many times with our, our younger kids, we try to just say, oh, don't swear. Don't do this. Don't do that. We just give these very stark realities where – and instead it's don't swear inappropriately. You know, you know the way you speak is important. The way you present yourself to the world is important. So having those boundaries and that credibility. So if you have an appropriate swear, <laughs> they don't call you out on it. Like that was appropriate. That's an important thing as well because it's within these boundaries that we learn about ourselves. My, my favorite was consistency builds the credibility. How oh, many of us I as parents that. or friends, it's that inconsistency that then there's no credibility and then the feedback. So, Matt, how how in a classroom, how do you establish those boundaries? Or how, Again, focusing more on your classroom time. How yeah. would you go about establishing those boundaries? How would you go about providing that feedback? What ways did you find to be the most effective that maybe could apply? Again, I'm not in a classroom, but I'm raising children at home. What lessons could you share with me maybe in that regard that you learned in the classroom? You've got to know what you want to enforce right you've got to take the self-assessment of yourself and say hey what am i what do i feel like i might well without saying it in other words you've got to know what you value what is your core values and what do you want to pass those values on to your on your kids and that that can relate to a classroom or your your own your own household yeah and you got to be able to hold to that and because you you're so tempted to veer from that and, and maybe a quick story i had a had a student that, you know, I'd always greet the kids at the door. That was part of the way I made the connections. And a young man who was just one of those kids I, you, you love, but he also you knew that he was looking to push the boundaries. And he comes in, and he's just like, Mr. Patterson, I've got a, I've got a funny joke. Can I put it on the board? Everybody's going to love it. And I says, hey, it better be G-rated. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, it absolutely is G-rated. I'm like, so – and of course, I'm you know greeting the next group of kids coming in, and all of a sudden I hear some chatter and some laughter in the in the background. So of course I I turn to look at the what the joke is on the board, and it's far from G-rated. And I'm like, oh, ugh. you know. So I I basically like, hey, we'll call him Carson for lack of a better name. It's said, Carson, come out in the hallway. We need to visit. And so I got the class. You know, I got the class. Start- I sat him down. I got the class started, and and I got them on the task. And I so I closed the door behind me. I, I Carson was in the hall with me. I says, Carson, I says, you broke my trust today. Mm-hmm. And I says, what you told me it was going to be G-rated. It was not G-rated. And that's my expectation is that you know this is one of our classrooms who were respectful to me and to others. And I says it's going to take me a minute to build that trust back, but I want you to sit here and think about it for a minute. And I'll, I'll be reaching out to your, your parents. And I says, I, well, I'll let you back in the class in just a minute and went on. And of course he was sober and, and was more, you could tell that he was upset, but I was more, I thought he was more upset about that, that I was, I got after him. And so when I went on with the day and then the next morning I came to school and it was probably six forty-five in the morning and he is sitting at my door on the ground. I have no idea how long he'd been there. I'm like, Carson, what's going on? He's like, I couldn't sleep all last night. He says, I was so afraid that I've ruined our relationship. I can't, I can't let that happen. What do I need to do? You see, you can hear the emotion in my voice says, but uh, he, uh, 
we've talked, you know, for a while, and I said, hey, we're good. I just can't have you doing that. I've got to protect all the kids, and I could protect the learning environment. And I says, you broke my trust in that moment. I says, but we, we're going to fix this. And he, from that moment on, was amazing. He was one of my biggest advocates. He supported me in the class. He worked hard in class. It was never an issue, um, and we still connect all these years later. It's been decades later. That's, that's um, remarkable. Think how differently so that, that could have been handled. You know, if you'd gone out and just yelled at him or belittled him or just written him off as just the trouble kid for the rest of ever. I mean, how differently things could have gone. Mm-hmm. Now easily think there's just, yeah. yeah. There's just some power in that, hey, this is the expectation. You can still hold him or he, she perfectly accountable, but when you do it with love and with that relationship and with that expectation that they can meet the further standard, right? Yeah. That's totally different than just drawing the line in the sand and then oh, you crossed it. I well, love that. And you did so wonderful with the communication, communicating those boundaries, those goals, the expectations. Um, sometimes we forget to communicate, and that's the way we connect with each other is by doing that. And you allowed vulnerability into that moment as well and allowed him to be vulnerable as well. Like Those two things are, are just so important as we continue to grow in, and to work with each other as well as kids yeah. and youth. All right, we're going to take a quick break, Matt. When we come back, let's talk about your personal transition from the classroom to administration. We'll be right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. All right, Matt, how many years were you in a traditional classroom as a classroom teacher? I was there for seven years. And then probably now, not long enough. <laughs> now we now we know it's been twenty years and you're you're a principal for these past few years. So what was in the middle between the seven years in the classroom and where you are now back at Orion, back at your original school twenty years later? Tell us about that middle piece. Yeah, so I uh of course I worked on my masters and got it into administration and that was seemed like a maybe an opportunity down the road, but I, I, uh, most people at the time were interviewing for two or three years to get into the pool. Uh, I got in my very first year and, um, which was, a, which I was grateful for, but also was like, Oh, I mean, we'll see how this goes. And I, uh, I got, um, assigned to Bonneville high school as a, my intern year. He was in Weber school district. He had some time as an intern, um, spent a year at the high school and, and enjoyed that. And then they came to me and, and asked me to, to be the assistant principal at TH Bell junior high on the other end of the Valley. I love that experience. I was working with a, a different demographic of kid and got to really appreciate those that had maybe some more more challenges in their home life and uh, um, working with kids with a different perspective than I'd worked with at Orion Junior High. I'm very grateful for those years, for sure. And then I had a little bit of a detour. They, The district came to me and asked me to interview for a, a curriculum specialist position at the district office, and then I worked specifically with um, science teachers. And I was able to to train and work with science teachers. We, there was a new science curriculum that was being developed um, at, based upon new science standards. So I spent about five years working with teachers and developing just science classrooms um, throughout the, the district. I had the opportunity to work on some curriculum with a, a partner in Davis School District. And we created some online resources that are now viewed millions of times. And uh, it's pretty, really? pretty fun to be able to look back on those. Yeah. So, but uh, so, but I, I kind of was like, ah, I miss kids. 
I yeah. missed the action. <laughs> and I says, you, you gotta, you gotta get me back into schools. And so I asked if I could uh, have an opportunity to go back. And, um, they came to me and said, Hey, how about Orion junior high? And I'm like, are you kidding? Are you, are you sure? <laughs> and, uh, which was, I of course accepted wholeheartedly and, and I've absolutely loved my last five years at Orion being the leader of the school. Well, I love that. And you told us um, before we hit record one of some of the your mottos or, or your, your theology about kids, um, about how they're individuals. Can, can you refresh that for the recording? Yeah. So, you know, as, as you get assigned to a, a school, you you really think and reflect like, well, what 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 do you want to start with? What's the culture? Where do you want to? We're going to begin, and as, as I sat down and really reflected on this idea, what like what's going to make kids want to come through these doors? Because mm-hmm. we know they have to come, but what's going to make them want to come? That was the first question I asked myself and my staff, and so we came up with this mantra, which is we want every kid to have a name, a face, a voice, and a purpose. And okay, wait like a second. Say it, say yeah. it again, because I guarantee everyone else yeah. listening wants to hear those again. A name, a face. A name, a face, a voice, and a purpose. Okay, tell me more. Okay, so the idea is that we want, there's so many kids that walk through the halls and no one recognizes their face. Yeah. They just, they're just, they're a shadow, right? They just, they walk in, they walk out, and they don't feel like anybody sees or recognizes them. So he says, we're going to change that. That's going to stop. We're, every kid's face is going to be recognized. And then, in conjunction with that is that their name is called. They hear their name by by more than one person in any given day. And that name is important. It's it's they're part of it's part of our identity. It's part of who we are. And we're gonna they're gonna hear that name. And next is that voice. And voice is tricky because sometimes we don't want to hear a thirteen year old voice. But it's important. They need to be able to know that they're heard and that their ideas matter and that they can contribute to the whole. And so we work on that all the time about, hey, we need to make sure there's students on our committees, there's students that are sharing their opinions. We meet with them often and hear what their ideas are. What might be a good idea to me isn't a good idea for them, and so we want to be able to be able to hear that. And that trickles down to our classroom as well. And the last one is that purpose. they got to know what they're, the why, and we focus a lot on the why. We focus on the why about what they're learning, you know, their expectations to the school, how they're being kind and contributing to each other, and how do they – how, what's their purpose moving forward and how they can better themselves to, to be somebody great. So that's kind of started this off. And so that moment kind of springboarded us into a lot of the other things that we do here at Orion. Okay, so I'm going to ask the question I always ask. I, I very seldom, if ever, ask why, but I always ask how. Matt, how do you do this? How do you, whether you're in the curriculum department training other teachers at, or developing curriculum for other teachers to use in the science program, you're now the principal of you know, 40, 50, 60, however many teachers. This, the philosophy that you've just shared with me is remarkable. It's amazing. I think it's life-changing. How do you do that? What does that look like in your school, in your faculty meetings, in your interactions with these young people? Can you just tell us, you know, in a, in a given week or month or whatever at Orion, how are you implementing that so that it goes from this great, wonderful idea to something that actually is happening down to that personal level? Yeah. So we started out with just that culture idea, like how do we take care of kids? How do we, how do we build these relationships? It's kind of that first piece when I was a teacher, like let's start there. Let's, let's really connect with kids. So we, we started putting up kids' pictures in faculty meetings saying, hey, what can you tell me about this kid? What do you know about this kid? You know, asking those those hard questions. Do you know more than just their name? Do you know anything about them? And so we started just kind of becoming a little bit, a little bit raw, right, and saying, hey, do we know what we should know about these kids? And so we started that. And then the additional conversation is that I, I think about this, this teeter-totter, this pendulum going back and forth, and you think about all of the negative influences that might be in a kid's life that we, we have no idea, right? It could be that their parents are divorced or that they might have a tragedy that happened there, or maybe their parent is ill or, or there's an addiction in their home. We don't know the, 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 these blocks that are piled on that one side of the, the pendulum, but what we, and we can't, we can't influence that. There's nothing we can do to change that in kids' lives. But what we can do is we can add blocks to the other side. 
We can add blocks that say, hey, we care about this kid. They're recognized. We're challenging them. We're giving them opportunities to succeed. We're encouraging them to, to do something that they may don't see in themselves. And the idea that we talked about as a staff is let's stack on as many positive blocks. There's, they should interact with seven to ten adults every day. Let's not put a negative block on that other side. It better be a positive block mm-hmm. on that other side. And let's hold that teeter-totter, that pendulum, tips towards the positive. So that kid sees that there is enough good in their life to outweigh the bad. And that's where we started. Love it. Um, and then that, then that moved us into another model I'll talk about. I'm sure your follow-up question. So. Okay. So that, I'm again, thinking as a parent, um, you know, even, even as parents, there's a lot of negative things in our kids' lives that we can't control. And that leads to feelings of helplessness and discouragement. Like, you know, in my particular case, I can't help the fact that my children's father is dead. You could not help the fact that your father died by suicide. There's certain things in or out of the classroom, in or out of the office, even in or out of a friendship. Friends might not even know some of these things. As a parent, I don't know every negative thing weighing my child down. And if yeah. all I focus on is those negatives and worrying about them and what are they and which ones are they and what if that's another negative, that doesn't do me much good. What if instead I focus on the positive? My job is to add as much positive. My job Love is to it. build as much to try to counterbalance the negative rather than I, – I think the instinct as a parent is you just want to get rid of the negative. You don't want your kids to face hard things. And, and we don't realize that in doing that we're handicapping them. Mm-hmm. But Matt, yeah. I love re- what you've shared. It's a about- that builds yeah, the re- Yeah. Yeah. You're reducing the resilience, right? You're not, they've still got to deal with those things. And those things are not going to go away when they're adults. Yeah. But are you adding a component that they can see the positive in their life? And, and they, that's where that resilience piece comes in. And so it teeters towards the good. They're going to move forward, right? They're not going to get stuck in that cycle and- of. Sorry, go ahead. Despair. No, I was going to say the that cycle, cycle of, of feeling self-doubt, right, or, and de- you know depression or, or anxiety or whatever ends up crippling them and to be able to do things they need to be able to do. You know. And I think you're teaching them that, and all of us, regardless of our age or academic status, if there are negative things in my life, I could focus on adding positive things to my life. Mm-hmm. And those positives can help bring it back. We look at balance. We're all seeking balance, right? Balance in self-care and things. I think sometimes with balance, we think that means get rid of the bad, when in reality, it means add more good. Mm-hmm. That's that's powerful. Yeah. Well, that's how much powerful. does the exercise help us to see the good that's yeah. around us? Not only are we adding positive to, to their scales, we're adding it to our own. How That's a great point, Kellyanne. Matt, how have you seen this philosophy and this paradigm? Obviously, I, I imagine it's helping the students. How have you seen it impact your teachers and your faculty when you're asking them these questions or encouraging them to have this mindset? How have you seen it impact the adults in the building, not just the youth? Yeah, no, it's 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 really powerful. You know, these the the education profession is one of the most challenging professions in the world, and it's it is so easy to get stuck in in seeing just the negative and maybe the pushback from kids or whatever, but. It, to be able to flip that and see that that positive, I think I mentioned in my in the earlier uh, podcast that you know if you can look at that idea of where what's the potential of this kid, not what we see right now, but where can they end up, and that you're in a you're a key piece to helping that happen, and you may not see the result of that in the in the immediately, but somewhere down the line they're going to remember that's the case, and by that dialogue it is. It's tremendous what our teachers do and see for kids. And they're, you know you don't want to add more work, but they do more work when they have that belief that that kid is going to be somewhere someday. Um, and they can contribute to that and be that touch point to change that, change that life and that trajectory. So it's only increased our capacity as a school. And belief is catching. Like if you believe in them, they start to believe in themselves. Well, and then you, I would imagine you help to reinvigorate teachers. Like you said, teaching is challenging. It's demanding. Um, there's all kinds of paperwork and red tape and governmental requirements that take away maybe from the actual act of teaching. And yet, as you help your teachers recognize the potential in their students, I, I would imagine that would reinvigorate the teacher. The same as me as a parent I'm sitting here thinking, well, if I could just focus on the potential of my child rather than the worries for my child, how much more excited would I be or maybe more focused on 
creating positive interaction with my child in our home. I, I want, like you said, for your school building, I want my children to want to be in my home. I want them to want to be in my family. They have to be. They're here. You know, they didn't choose that. But what can I do? What can I change that's in my power rather than just lamenting over what's out of control? What is within my power that I can make my home and my family, even me as their parent, something desirable for them rather than just, I guess I'm stuck here because this is what I've got. Yeah. So, well, all right, absolutely. let's, we're going to take a minute, a, a break real quick here. Cause I want the last segment to be a little bit longer. We're going to talk about some of those programs you alluded to some of the programs I'm aware of and some of the programs that have made you so good at what you're doing that we're actually going to lose you at Orion. We'll be right back. You've talked about a lot of this, the philosophy, the compassion. Of course, those of us who've heard the full story of your first episode can see maybe some of your own childhood lessons and experience Mm -hmm. coming into what you see in your students and helping them rise above and see potential. And just your basic understanding that other kids have hard things going on, whether you as a teacher or principal see it or not. It's hard. Let's talk about some of the programs you've implemented. I'll ask you about a couple specific that that I'm aware of, but then, of course, feel free to add what you are doing that maybe I don't specifically ask. Let's go back to that piece you said at the very beginning as as a classroom teacher. You felt, you know, the importance of relationships, coming prepared because the students want to learn, helping them have clear expectations and know the boundaries. And then number four you said was they need feedback that is timely and accurate. Can you talk about how you and your administrative team and faculty, what you're doing at Orion Junior High right now to help the students give themselves timely and accurate feedback and what impact you're seeing in the classroom there? Yeah, so we know that if you can track your own progress, it's one of the most effective. One of the one of the education researchers is this um, researcher named John Hattie, and one of his greatest effect size um, is students' ability to track their own their own progress, their own success. So we looked at that and thought, how can we do this effectively and support our kids across the board? And so we created a, a student self-tracker. It's a spreadsheet that we've disseminated to every single kid, and then we use that in our advisory time at, at the school every Friday. We ask our students to get on that spreadsheet and it asks questions about, you know, how many, did they attend all their classes today or this week? Did they, what assignments did they do? And are they missing any assignments? What's their current grades? What's their current citizenship? And then we ask them specific questions about our core values. How creative were they? How much responsibility did they show? How much grit did they exhibit? How were they responsible? Were they really respectful to others? And then we also ask them a couple of questions about their effort. How much effort did you put in this? Um, and then have a Likert scale. And it's been powerful. And we've had so many kids say that they love it. And our teachers the same way. And we've seen some incredible data as a result. We've, you know, we've seen our grades, our number of you know, successful grades have gone up significantly this year. We've seen our number of student discipline issues go down this year. And there's some other things we're doing but that may not be solely contribute to this. But we just see that kids are more self-aware. And uniquely, I, I would, we've been doing this for a couple months, and I'm like, why am I not doing this in my own life? Um, so I started doing my own self-tracker, and uh, it's been incredible for my own ability to, to pay attention to the things that I'm doing well in my life and the things that I need to improve on. And it's, it's helped me with my own balance and resilience as I, as I tackle my own things. And just the, that accountability for myself has been awesome. But as we meet with kids, as we sit down with kids, we – we say, hey, how, how's your tough tracker going? What, do you, what are some areas that you're seeing that you might be struggling in? And how can we help you improve on those? And it's just, it's changed the kind of the, the paradigm from just being, hey, we know everything about you and for you as educators to, hey, how can we help you meet your goals and expectations for yourself, which kids are really, really appreciate. It's that voice piece that I think has really hit hard with that self-tracker. 
I love that it's a self tracker too. It's not like a student tracker. It's not. It's thing that they have to figure out for themselves as individuals, their own responsibility. Because just self awareness is going to lead you to so many greater things in in life. And I would imagine it's helping the students be more, as you say, self aware. Maybe authentic and honest with themselves. Mm-hmm. I so I think my son. I have a son that's in your school right now. He's in eighth grade and he's. Super smart, but doesn't really care for school and sometimes wonders why on earth he's got to, you know, jump through all the hoops and do all the things. And he's, he's, I love the kid. He's, you could have a conversation about the deepest historical political conversations and controversies, but like I can't get him to do his homework. So he's doing great though. I imagine these first couple weeks when he had to do this Friday tracker, he probably rolled his eyes. And said, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, I'm doing good, I'm doing good. I mean, I, I would, if I were to have that conversation with him. But I think that this, again, consistency builds credibility. If we as human beings of any age could be consistently self-aware, consistently reflective, I think at some point you crack through the wall of saying, okay, I'm good, I'm good to, well, maybe I could be better. Or actually, maybe I'm doing awesome. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. we're so hard on ourselves. Oh my goodness, yes. And yes. we, we yeah. I, I imagine we you probably have others, some students. But not ourselves. Yeah, you, I would imagine you have some students who are probably pretty hard on themselves as they fill out these trackers. And that might be good insight to see where to maybe help. You know, sometimes it's some of the smartest, most driven students that are the most self-critical. Right. Let's talk tracker. It's a self-tracker. Do the teachers see it? Do you see it as a principal? What... Is it open for evaluation or is it really just self-aware? It is really just self-aware. I mean, occasionally we'll, we'll ask a kid that, you know, if there's, if we're worried about them and, and want to get some, some feedback on them, we'll occasionally look at that. But really majority of the time is just for the kids to just be self-aware yeah. and uh, give them an, an opportunity to, to reflect on their week and how well are they doing so, and that probably yeah. lends to a little more honesty and authenticity, too. I, I was wondering if this is something they turn in every Friday and then the teacher can micromanage <laughs> their self-awareness. But <laughs> I, I do love that when, no. if maybe there's a concern or a problem, this becomes a tool. But it's not a tool to be used against the student, only ever for and, and helping. Yep. Adding that positive yeah, to the sure. scale yep. like you talked about in the last segment. Several times you mentioned the word data, data-driven. We've seen the data. The data says this. The data says that. You are a science man. Uh, you've declared that several times in our, our PTA and school community council meetings. I love that data-driven nature you have because obviously data speaks for itself. Let's talk about another program and, and some policies that you've implemented related to data around students and social media, electronics, and cell phone use. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things we looked at really closely was our instructional time, how much time we're able to impact kids in that, you know, 43 to 45 minutes that we have with it. You know, each teacher has with a kid. And we realized there's some data that our kids are not accessing and utilizing that time to the best of their ability. And so we, we took a long, hard look at what things we could do to, to change that. And one of the glaring pieces of, of uh, data was these was cell phones. And mm-hmm. um, if I ever find a genie, and I'm going to blow one of my wishes on cell phones and social media, just so everybody <laughs> knows, I want to declare that to the world. Um, but in the meantime, what we've done is we basically said, hey, during instructional time, cell phones are not going to impact us. Mm-hmm. So we, the policy was is that cell phones need to be silenced in backpacks during from bell to bell in each class period and we told kids they could use it you know before after school or at lunch and even in those four minute passing times but during that class time as we wouldn't we and i sent a and jenny can attest to this but i I created a memo of understanding and sent the parents and said hey this is what we're going to do we're protecting the instructional time and here's all the reason the areas that cell phones can negatively impact our youth at this time and i mean we I, i was pretty bold in there and mentioned everything from from drug use to, to sexting to just, you know, addiction with the, the device and, mm-hmm. and all of the other things that, that could potentially be hazardous to our kids if they spend too much time on these devices. And uh, it's been awesome. It's been a total game changer. Our, our teachers have reported. We've got other data to support that that our kids are more engaged and, and are more learning has increased 
tremendously and when our kids are interacting with each other i mean teachers report that their their kids are are more responsive and more alert and more capable than they've ever been as we remove these devices so so we're looking long and hard at areas that we can we're not we know the devices are still important right our kids Mm -hmm. still have chromebooks but there it's how we utilize them it's how to train them to the right time and the right appropriateness to use them and how to use those and so we realize that that's part of our job too is, is helping them understand that process and which has been great and you asked several questions there jenny you want to stop there you want to keep going no i want you to keep going um I, okay. I will always ask you how how did so you sent the letter home and it's actually worked and i think i could answer the how for you it's back to those first four things you said you set the clear expectation and then you had the consistency to build credibility and it really like it works. I think so many parents, students, even people across the state are like you can't it'd be a pipe dream. It would be a genie in a bottle kind of wish to get rid of cell phones in a junior high or high school classroom setting and yet you've done it. So keep keep going. I love just the lesson of self control you're teaching them yeah. and, and the whole concept of there's good, there's better, there's best and you're trying to teach them to think the best. You're helping build habits just that okay. will help them outside of the right? classroom. Oh my yeah. gosh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. sorry. Keep going. So, but a broader scheme is, is we we've adopted a, a model called a multi-tiered systems of support, um, and it's something that I we started on my second year at Orion, and we it was all part of this developing our core values, deciding on what expectations we wanted kids to have to meet those core values, and then what interventions and supports do we have in order to help kids meet those expectations and core values. And so, part of that is being keenly aware of how our kids are meeting those expectations, and then what interventions and supports do we provide for them to help them be successful? Because let's be honest, they're kids. Their brains are not fully developed. They make impulsive decisions, and they, they're going to make mistakes. But the key is, is how do we teach them restoratively to make appropriate decisions next time when they're faced with that decision? And we wanted to create a system that supported them in that. And uh, so we have multi-layers. If you do some research on that, just, you know, tier one is to provide that support for all kids. And our cell phone policy fit into that. Our self-tracker fit into that. And then tier two is that, hey, what supports here at the school can we provide for, you know, maybe 15 or 20% of our kids to, to help them be successful in some of those areas? They're not a high, high-need kid, but they're enough need that we want to be able to support them in that. Um, and then we have tier three, and these are kids that just require maybe some extra personnel or maybe some district intervention, but there's a lot more uh, need in in that area. But one of the key components to that is, is that we didn't really have data that told us where the kid had come from and where they're at now and where their possible trajectory is. Mm-hmm. So we created some data models that tracked kids in multiple areas, actually nine different areas, and we see that weekly on knowing where those kids are at, um, which is remarkable. So and these are primarily our top-tier kids that we're trying to provide support with. But we meet as a counseling team and admin every week, and we discuss these kids, and we put interventions in place. And then we have data that supports whether that intervention is, is changing the trajectory for that kid or not, which is remarkable. That Too often in education, we make horrible assumptions, like, oh, I tried this, it's working. We really don't know. But this, finally, we have data that says, yes, it's working, or no, it's not. And there's been some interventions that we've used for years that we have no data that supports its success. So we've got rid of it. We just said, we're not going to do that anymore. But we have other interventions that we're like, yeah, that moves the needle, and we need to keep doing that. We need to re- you know, expand capacity, and that might be adding an extra an adult. We have these student advocates. They're wildly valuable because of that data we're collecting, and they're, it's moving the needle for our kids. But I think the application to your own families are is think about are the things you're doing as a family changing behavior? And if they're not changing behavior, stop doing them. One of the quotes that we, Mr. Prawl and I, the assistants use all the time is, if you do the same thing over and over again, that's the definition of insanity. And so if you don't want to be insane, use data to, to change what you're doing. And that's what we've tried to do here at Ryan. All right, Matt, this is, unfortunately, we're running out of time. And unfortunately, we're running out of time with you at Orion. Let's talk for a few minutes. We knew, you know, five years or so is kind of the lifeline of a principal in our district. It's not uncommon. It's not like we're being punished or you're being taken. It's it's kind of a natural time. But I ran into the superintendent the other day, a good friend of mine, and 
She mentioned to me, uh, I know your new assignment will be to open a brand new junior high that's not yet open, and yet you'll have a year to get ready and hire and outfit the building and, and set things up. But she mentioned to me that before you really dive into that new school position next year, you will spend the first few months this fall maybe working with district personnel. Can you speak a little bit about that? I don't know if that's top secret or confidential. What are you able to share about this kind of your interim assignment and then loving the idea that you will take the things you've learned through data and through just real life experience into a school to start from scratch. Like I wish my kids would be at that school where new building, new culture, new staff, new everything. Sometimes making change is what's so hard. We did an interview about change in the military and you're turning the Titanic around. The same is true in public education. Yet you haven't been deterred from difficult change. You've made it anyway. You've made it work. Maybe it takes a couple of years to really stick in, but here it is. You're going to go to this new school and implement, but talk for a minute, maybe if you will, about what you will do for these first few months between your time at Orion Junior High and the new school that's not yet open. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so part of the Superintendent Butters initiative is to, to have schools adopt that similar model of MT, you know, MTSS, the multi-tier systems of sport. And where we've been successful in the, the junior high and the secondary level, we're one of the one of the few that have taken that on in the secondary level. She wants me to just work closely with other admin teams and other schools to share some of the successes and some of the models we've created. And every school is unique. They have a unique culture. They have a unique set of circumstances. They have also a unique set of resources. And so I want to be able to work with them and help them identify what those some of those areas are and, and obviously empower them to kind of take that on and, and meet that initiative that the superintendent has. And I'm excited. I, I think it'll be a, a unique opportunity. I, I've been, in the, been an administrator in this district long enough that I have really good relationships with just about every single administrator. And uh, I'm excited to, to be able to work with them on a different capacity and and then also continue to gain new insights and ideas from my peers, which is such a huge blessing to be able to then take that and all those compilations of great ideas and start a, a brand new school and make sure the school is polished up looking great. But the overwhelming excitement to be able to start from the ground up and establish this just awesome culture of excellence and who we want to become and basically set a school on a trajectory that really the sky's the limit, to be perfectly honest, and which is fun and exciting. I hope it's okay I insert this. You know, it's always sad to leave the people you love. And the more, and I've always said the people you serve are your friends and your loved ones. And I truly have so many friends and loved ones that are in this Orion community, whether those are the students, the teachers, and, and parents. I, I will truly miss them. But what's also great about relationships and that service is they continue on, and I hope to continue to tap into all of those people that helped shape me into who the person I am and that that continues on for the rest of my career and hopefully the rest of my life. Oh, Mr. Patterson, this has been fantastic. I have taken so many notes and just so many things you've said you've learned in a classroom or a school building that absolutely apply in society, in our offices, and especially in our homes. Thank you for continually using the word unique opportunity, unique challenges, unique Rather than, woe is me, here's my hard story, maybe my hard things can help make good things for someone else. And we've seen that in your life uh, now for these 20 years that you've been in public education. I'm fortunate enough to be in the district where you serve. I am so excited for you to have interactions with your peers as you work with these other administrative teams. And I think the reason you've got a good relationship with them is because you can just feel your humility. When I asked you about that assignment, you didn't say, yeah, well, I figured it all out, so I'm going to go tell everyone else how to do it. You immediately recognized that each school, like each student, like each person, has unique pluses and minuses, pros and cons, you know, challenges and opportunities, and that you still have great things to learn from them as well. And so to everyone listening, I hope that's your biggest takeaway is Look at the data. If, if something's working, run with it. If it's not working, then reevaluate. If you don't know why it isn't working or what might work, talk to someone else. Don't be afraid to exchange ideas and, and shake things up. And then I think my biggest takeaway from you, Matt, is when you do feel strongly about something, you know what your values are, maybe you know what the data is, maybe you just have that parent or human instinct or tuition, call it what you will, 
Give it a try. Don't let everyone else tell you that won't work. You can't do that. That's too hard. You can't turn the Titanic around because Matt, you have turned the Titanic in circles <laughs> several times, and <laughs> I'm I'm grateful for you personally. I will be one of those people who is excited for you and excited for the other students you can continue to impact and sad that you will no longer be the head principal at Orion Junior High. I imagine as I continue in the Weber district with a five-year-old in the next 13 years, hopefully our path will cross again. So love what you're doing. Best of wishes to you as you wrap up this crazy end of the school year and, and go forward. But thank you for taking your personal life story and embracing it and using it in such compassion to help other people. Thank you for the opportunity to share. We're always excited. And quick note to our listeners, Matt's story came to our attention because he heard the podcast and reached out and said, hey, I think I might have a story to share. Otherwise, we would not have known. So to the rest of our listeners, I am sure you have been inspired by what you've heard from Matt today. I am positive you have a story of something that you have gone through that's helped you develop resilience, lessons learned, tools developed. So please be willing to share. Reach out to us. We would love to give you a voice. As Matt has said, we all need a voice. And and maybe as you share your story, you'll come to learn more about your own story as you teach the rest of us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. You can email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com. And remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles other people are dealing with in their lives. Take care, everybody. Have a good day. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.